Um, I'm sorry there was a slight mistake about what the, what the sermon would be about today. I'm not ready to move on from John 1, 1 through 10 just yet. So I'm going to read the text, and um, we're starting this question and answer thing. I don't know if we're liking it, if we're digging it. Oh, Dylan's digging it. Cool. All right. All right. Well, so Dylan's probably got a question ready already then. Um, got a doozy ready for me? You got to come up. John 3, we're, we're, we're in John 3 here, and this is going to be our last time in, that, in the first part of this chapter. My main goal today, my main desire will be to uh, really explore born again. <laughs> I, know, I think if we were to get through John chapter 3, through this iconic and famous part of scripture, and I don't explain what it means to be born again, then I have failed. <laughs> Somehow, I have not met a good expectation for preaching. And I personally think because of the depths of the theological wisdom in this text, we could probably stay in John 3 for quite a bit longer even than I have planned. There's so much here. But anyway, as we're, as we're kind of, we're going to read this together. And one of the things I want to call your attention to is I've made some, I've made some decisions. Take a look here. You have the text printed out. And I made a decision. If you look at verse 13, you'll notice there's a new paragraph. And it begins like this. No one has ascended into heaven. Now, I take this to no longer be Jesus speaking. In the book of John, John's literary style is very different than ours. But, and, and John's assumptions theologically are different than ours in some ways. And one of the ways, because some of those things are, he, uh, that I want to call your attention to are this. John has no problem speaking for Jesus. Not at all. For him, there's no conflict or no strangeness that he, that he might be talking, this is what Jesus said, and then just start telling you the truth. As Christ's disciple, and not just John, but all of the disciples who wrote, write with unparalleled freedom that they have a power, they have a right, they have an authority to speak the very words of God. What do they do? This is the way they think. So modern interpreters notice that. Well, I'll give you an example. Uh, uh, if, if it's still Jesus talking in the narrative in verse thirteen, no one has ascended to heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Then that means he's talking about himself in the third person. Now, some people do that. Some people do that. They're not very popular at parties, but some people will talk about themselves in the third person, right? That's not what Jesus, I don't think that's what Christ is doing here. And John is, in, John is inserting, appropriately, John is inserting his own reflections on what Christ is saying. But they're not just his, he doesn't think of his reflections. Please hear this. John does not think of his own personal inward reflections as less inspired. He doesn't think that. He sees himself as someone who knew, heard, speaks, and is filled with the very presence of Christ and has an authority and an ability to speak with authority in his own words. So, uh, that's the, uh, I'm drawing your attention to that, and we're going to learn a little bit about how John uses language today. I hope it'll be helpful. And we'll read the story. This is the uh, first great message, in this first great real conversation in the book of John. Uh, John positions it. The first conversation Jesus has is with the 
probably the most significant re religious figure of his day. It would be one of the key leaders. Be one, it would be a Billy Graham of his day. Somebody would be somebody that well known. And uh, let's, let's dive in. Uh, we've been covering this, and then we notice the dialogue's a little awkward, back and forth. Jesus is intentionally being difficult, and we will, we will uncover why I hope. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees, 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 ancient uh, cultural religious sect in uh, first century Palestine. The Pharisees named Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from, from God, for no one could do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit, <laughs> that's spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you, it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you of earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so that the Son of Man may be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may, be, may have eternal life. You may recognize this next verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Father, I pray today for power to preach power to teach, speak, just power, not, I don't want to be power like I have something that my people don't have. We all want power together. That power together to grasp these things, power that comes from you. Holy Spirit, be with me as I speak, be with us as we listen, be, be with those who have questions. Be, let this become a time where you're revealed. You reveal the love of your son, you reveal the gospel in Jesus' name. I was uh, sharing the gospel with somebody recently, and uh, and it was a, it was one of those um, 
one of those hard, one of those strange in a bar somebody's drinking hard and they're angry and they're just talking about just everything from the cocaine they had done to the prostitutes that they slept with. It's one of those kind of conversations. It's, a, it's one of the conversations that I find as a minister, I find I'll be in it and I'm there with this person and I feel very honored that they would open up to me. Uh, I also feel very out of my depth. <laughs> I don't want to tell you about those things and somebody kind of unburdens their conscience about all the bad stuff they've been doing. One of the things he's one of one of the things that he holds up though is his is that his brother was an addict and his brother, uh, even though he was an addict, came close to death under crack cocaine or heroin or some one of the big ones. His brother, and this is when he said this, and he said it with, and he had said it to me before, but he said it with almost a, a spit in his mouth. He's one of those damn born againers. Like, and I, now he doesn't know me. He knows I'm a pastor, right? He just knows, and and I'm like he. And, and by the way, that's the nicest word he used to describe them. <laughs> and that cult is Borganadak. They're cult, and my, they captured my brother. And, and and now he doesn't drink, and he doesn't smoke, and he doesn't do anything. You know, and and and, and I'm just listening, I'm listening. Huh? Born againers, born againers. Have you ever heard the word or the term born again? used in a derogatory sense. Raise your hand if you've heard it's used negatively. Yeah, it's really that powerful, isn't it? Yeah. I'm surprised by that. Uh, how many of you have never heard the term before? I'm curious. Has anybody here never, ever heard the term? So it's, it's actually got enough cultural parlance. You've, heard, you've really heard it used in the world. It has a, a fair amount of cultural parlance, but I think that cultural parlance is disappearing. I think that the People your age or younger won't be. It's not. As, it's not as. Ne- it won't have a negative or any 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 connotation. Um. Well, do you know who popularized the born again stuff? Does anybody know who popularized the whole you know, this born again kind of conversation in America? Michael, no, I think Michael. Does. Hmm? Calvary Chapel did a lot to. Yeah, it was very good. Calvary Chapel actually did a lot. I'm going to say Billy Graham. Because Billy Graham is preaching in the 50s, and he would have been one of the formative influences for somebody like Calvary Chapel. Billy Graham went, went right into that term. And when he does it in the 40s and the 50s, when he does it some 60, 70 years ago, it's not, it's not a part of the cultural uh, uh, man, it's not a part of the cultural words. There's no meme. There's no negative attitude. So what happens? He comes out with "born again," and it rattles a lot of people. It rattles a lot of folks because Christianity was the state religion, for lack of a better word. It was just the cultural religion, and and everybody knew what John three sixteen meant. Everybody well, they didn't know what it meant, but they knew about the verse, and they knew what church was like, and they knew what to do when you came into a church, and they understood the cultural totems. And they would probably know something about the book of John, something, or they recognize the name. And in that context, believe me, in the 40s and 50s, there were no more or less Christians than there are today. Don't, don't believe, I'm not saying it's a golden age of Christian faith. It was not at all. But culturally, there was still the remnants, the artifacts, as you would say, where people could understand something. And so when, when Billy Graham comes in and says, you must be born again... And that great man died uh, just in the last couple of weeks. 
Uh, it was novel. In fact, it, it had enough of a, a weirdness and enough of strangeness that like, like Nicodemus, people were like, what? What's this born again stuff? And it, it, it kind of swept across America and through Billy Graham's phenomenal preaching, his own integrity even, his consistency, being born again became something noble again. Now the guy I was witnessing to last week, who was cursing the born-againers, he's on the other side of that. And it's kind of interesting, I almost feel like, I don't know if I want to go into this really, but it feels like the truths of one age, the truths of one age that are discovered, if those truths are simply used as um, a language, or if those truths are never understood spiritually, if they're never understood and experienced, then they just, those truths just become words. They just become words. They don't be, because they've never been earned. They've never been won. And they're not somebody who's experienced new birth, or wanted new birth, or craved a new start, or need, understood, you see? And so, and like I say, not, well, this is kind of arbitrary, but say 1940 or 1950, in the 50s, then born again language, is new and powerful. But now, and maybe it's time to turn the top, but now it's cultic. It has a cultic and a negative connotation. So I think that's part of what happens when a new generation comes along and doesn't know the power that that old generation experienced. It just knows the words. It doesn't know the power and experience of salvation. The reason I bring, I've drawn all this out is you'll see this happens a lot, but there's also a satanic influence in here. And I think part of it, there's a satanic influence where I think our enemy actually works to, works to, to create counterfeit, to create the wrong thing. How do we renew our a passion about being born again? Like I, I've been toying with this for years. We're going to look at a little bit today. Fortunately, the, the word here can also be born from above. It's interesting. Born from above. And so it has, it, it, it starts hitting at meaning. It starts hitting at things. And then, and I kept thinking about how do you locate John 3 in, spirit, in religious history? And how do, you under, how do you start really unpacking this to make sense of it? And that's what I'm hoping to do today. But I want to add, all right, so, so where, where are you in this text? And, and you notice I did some uh, color, color, color coding. This is my, uh, just so you know, uh, col- like the, the color coded words were not inspired. The colors were not inspired. So that was a joke. Uh, okay. I, the, <laughs> I always love it when somebody quotes somebody like Shakespeare and they say, emphasis added in the quote. I'm like, of course you added the emphasis, you knucklehead. Uh, you know, Shakespeare did not use italics. Anyway, uh, emphasis mine. Look at the look at the words for can't. Look at the words here. Look look at where, and look at look at where um, look at where uh, our friend Nicodemus lives. Where does Nicodemus live? I'm spilling coffee. Where does he live? He lives in the world of can. And one of the things I love about Nicodemus is that. 
he really hits it. There, there is, there's a common way of saying that, that the scriptures are full of junk and they're stupid. And one of the reasons people say it is those ancient people were gullible. Does Nicodemus sound gullible to you? Not to me, he doesn't. He does not believe what Jesus is saying. He is incredulous. He is doubtful. He is astounded. He is, he is not prepared. Anyway, it's just a little, little side note <laughs> that, uh, that uh, uh, Christianity, did not, uh, these, these ancients were not morons. But he lives in the world, in the temple of can, of what can happen, what can be, what is possible. And when I hear this, and when I hear this, and the word here, by the way, is dunatai, and it's from dunas, which can we get the word dynamite from? Dynamis? It, it's, it's, and it doesn't mean necessarily explosive here. It just means the ability to do something. Can you do it? And do you hear it? And I hear it, and I hear it in this generation. I hear it amongst Christians, and I really do. And people, we were limited. But this is what we do. We think about what can be, and that's all we think. And there's something about it. I was, one of the commentators pointed this out. I thought it was very winsome. Because all of a sudden I saw, I, I, I see as I look around in my church even, that we're all so much like Nicodemus. <laughs> Aren't we? Remember I said church is like a change-o-matic. That's what I call it. Maybe you have a change-o-matic view of what church is. You come into the church, and maybe there's different reasons why you come here. You want to find romance. You want to find a job. You want to find a connection. You want to find uh, friends and, and, and networking. Uh, I don't know how to draw networking, but um, you want to network. Um, maybe you just want to feel better about yourself. So when your mom asks you if you went to church out there in San Francisco, you can say yes and get her off your back. How many times have you ever gone to church just for that reason? Anybody going to be, ah, oh, Sid went awesome. I'm glad you, I'm glad you owned that. All right, good. All right. And the idea is we enter the change-o-matic of church, and, it, it, and we, we're looking for like little, I think most of us are just looking for some incremental changes. You know, like, oh, yeah, you know what? I really understand that I shouldn't lie now. And I've really been lying to my wife for years. I mean, I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, all right, I'm going to add that. Oh, you know what? I should read my Bible more. Oh, yeah, you know what, Dad? I've been, you know what? I have no online discipline. I'm going to and what the idea is, and a lot of, it's a lot of a moral, a lot of moral teaching, and, and most churches, and not, most, most, most religious experience is based on a change-o-matic model, but a change-o-matic model where you use this, this teaching, this Bible, this woman, and this pastor, or this church as a mechanism for your self-improvement, you know what I say to you? Get out. Go somewhere else. Do I hope for your improvement? And that and I'd be blessed to be a part of, of you. Look how much improving this man needs. Sid he's right here. How could I not want him to improve? But there's a, that, there, that's not all I'm saying. I'm not saying I don't care about and that we should not look to be improved and have a better life. And this, this community and this Bible and this God will not do these things. But if that's why you're here, and if that's the limits of your vision, is your self-service of Christianity, then you need to go somewhere else because there's churches out there that specialize in the change dramatic process. I'm not interested. Because that's the church of what can be. 
And that's the church Nicodemus lives in. And honestly, that's the church most, most, most Christians live in. Amen? What do you really hope for? I mean, honestly, come on. Do you really think your life's going to change today? Really, I mean, really. You come here thinking your life's going to change? If you don't go to church to beat God thinking your life might not change today, then I say you don't believe like you should. And you do not believe in the power of God. I, I think, and look, maybe I'm going crazy as a pastor for doing this, but I come here every week just hoping and excited and enthusiastic and just, just hoping that this is the week, this is the time, this is the moment when, when and, and it sounds silly, but it's not what I mean, it's, but it is what I mean, but, that Johnny gives his life to Jesus. Now, I know Johnny loves God. But I want him to take that step where it, the surrender is, and he knows, and he, but he's, he's hungry for the knowledge of God that he doesn't have yet either, right? And, and, I'm like, and, and so I'm told, we're, we're dealing with him, we're hoping for him, we're expecting, and if this Jesus is real, he's preaching change, and not just change where gray is a different gray tomorrow, no, gray is a new gray tomorrow. <laughs> I just thought how funny the expression of a new gray, like it's a new color. Like, what could ever be new about gray as a color? But you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. All right, let's deal with this. So don't be surprised that today I'm going to say to Sidman, you must be born again. And you can say, I know God. So it doesn't matter. I still get to say it's there. You must be born again. I can say it. It's true. You must be, you must be born again. Coral, you must be born again. I, don't stop being surprised that I'm saying that. And I don't know if you're in the Billy Graham camp and you love the expression or you think it's cultic. I could care less. Jesus said it. Stop being marveling at it. You don't have to be born again. So, all right, so Chris, what the heck does this mean? Let's pare it apart in three, pieces, in three easy pieces and answer the limited mindset of Ken to the ultimate mindset of all things are possible. <laughs> all right? All things are possible. You must be born again. Okay, so um, what's the first one? You must be born again. Now, so I, I told you that born again means two different things. It's kind of an interesting word study here. And I want, I want you to capture it. There's, there's a debate amongst, amongst commentators between what does this mean? Actually, there's a bunch of words in here that people ask, what does it mean? Because John uses words in an elusive way. Do, do you know what I mean by elusive Elusive, elusive, A-L-L-U-S-I-V-E, elusive. Um, we already covered this tracks before. In the beginning was the word. And one of the things we saw in that introduction to John was the in the beginning language was Hebrew, but the longest language was what? Greek. And adroitly, intelligently, cross-culturally, wisely, John uses language and pushes language together so that people of a different culture, Greeks and Jews, would be able to see truth and get it together. John continues to do that. It's kind of cool. And he does it with this expression, born again, born again. There's been a lot of ink poured over this one. Damn, what does it mean? Well, in Greek, this word again, can have two references. It can mean again as a restart. It can also mean from above. 
So uh, the, the, it's anothen. And so you can be like, so born from above is a powerful meaning. Born anew, hmm, which one is it? And like I said, there are thousands of pages and in ink spilled over this. And here's the deal. John loves multiple meanings. He loves to suggest multiple meanings. Let me explain to you how complicated this gets, how quickly. Again, and that connotation doesn't exist in Aramaic. We know they're speaking Aramaic, by the way. We know they're not speaking Greek. Jesus doesn't know Greek. This is John writing in Greek. The original language does not have an above connotation. It doesn't. So a lot of authors have said, look, whatever John's writing, we know he's, he's quoting Aramaic, and therefore it cannot mean anything but, again, it just means it has to be born again. And this connotation and this elusive connotation in Greek, born from above, is not a part of the meaning. But here's your problem with this. Take a look here at the, take a look at verse, uh, take a look at verse uh, 12, 12. If I have told you of earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And then, how's it go? No one has ascended into heaven except for he who what? Descended. And then actually in John 3, 26, uh, John the Baptist is going to say, nobody can receive anything unless it's given to them from heaven, from above. Which one is it? Which one is it? I would say, yes, it's both. Yes, just say yes. Because what John's doing here, and what he wants to do, and we have seen him doing already in the book of John, is he's using words that are pregnant, that are rich, that connotate, that bring and invite new meaning. And he capitalizes on it in his writing. He capitalizes on it. He gets traction. And he's like, okay, I got this above connotation. And then look, right here in the few verses later, what's he talking about? Christ comes from above. John says everything comes from above. But in John's mind, which I think is the mind of God, there is, no, there is no contrary between being born again, over again, and being born from above. Because the only way you're born again is, wow, if Christ does it from above, God does it. So it, the, the, the logic inheres. In other words, those two concepts are inseparable for the evangelist. So what does he do? He picks words that say two things and open up the meaning. So first of all, do you live in the world of can, or do you live in the world, or do you go to the church of can, <laughs> or do you go to the church, do you go to the church from above? What's the difference, you figure? Seriously, what's the difference between the church of can and the church from above? The church from can can only say we can do this project, that project, reach San Francisco if we have X, Y, and Z, or if we create a program, or if we're clever. You know what the cleverest way to build a church is? Homogeneity. Homogeneity. Find what everybody agrees on. Find what everybody really likes in terms of music and people. Get the right people, looking people in the right place. And if you build enough affinity and comfort, you know what happens? People come. People come. Is the old thing uh, from, the from the movie The Natural is true. This is The Natural. Field of Dreams. Field of Dreams, right? If you build it, they will go. You know, in the South, it's scary how this is. It's so easy to plant a church in a way. If you build it, they will come. 
affinity models work. I'm not condemning those models. I, I, I'm not interested in that. But if that's, if that's the grounds, if that's the center, if that's the core of your hope, what if you're in the church of Ken, not in the church of the divine. And what, 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 what's, what's the difference between that? A church from above is a church that <laughs> there's no reason why they should be here. <laughs> Because God has provided for them miraculously. If you look at them, they don't even, there's no no, uh, reason why those particular people would connect. Or there's no, because it's from above, it's from outside. It's not merely, it's not made by human effort. It's from above. Are you in the church of Ken or are you following the God of Ken? Or are, are your, is your heart set on things above? Um, you know, I, sometimes people complain about my preaching, and um, for good reason, I'm sure. And I, um, I'm sure what irritates them most is how absent-minded I am. But, but I don't know where the cap of this is. Just, just put it down before I think anything. Okay, what was I, I had a point. Oh, 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 oh. Yes, 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 yes. No, it's not an illustration. Um, uh, I actually, one of the big criticisms that kind of hurts my feelings, so if you really think this, keep it to yourself. Um, his preaching is not practical enough. I've thought about this, wrestling with this for years. Is my preaching practical enough? And, um, and I realized, well, and I, I, one time I finally asked this one person who's saying not practical. I said, well, could you give me an example of what a good practical sermon is so I know what I'm, I'm, doing, what I'm doing wrong? And he, he immediately sent me, um, I think, I can't remember the, the pastor anymore, and I don't want to say it if I, it was anyway, just so I don't want to embarrass that person, but, and it was seven steps towards a godly, a godly personal life, or something like that. And I was reading it, and I'm like, seven steps, and I got angry. Because if there are seven steps towards a happy life, or a happy wife, or a, a happy Christian walk, then why didn't John write it down? I mean, if it's just seven steps, I'm serious. Look, if you say there are seven steps to do something, then those seven steps better darn well work, right? I was reading them. They weren't biblical. They were good advice. And that hits me. What people want is they want to be told what to do. People, we want practical advice so we can, so we can have some control in our world. And you know what happens is if rebirth, a birth from above, what does that say? How do you plan on a birth from above? Well, next we're planning on God descending uh, uh, on us from above uh, next week, actually around three. And then, you ever heard people schedule revivals? It doesn't work. You can't schedule a revival because a revival is a divine act of God. And this from above, it preserves God's sovereignty. Where does the spirit go? Wherever it wishes. <laughs> right? And there's this idea that in the new birth is all of the richness of an eternal God coming out and into space and time, out from outside of eternity, outside of all space and time, in eternity, sorry, and bringing something new. All different enterprise, isn't it? All right, second, born again or born afresh, born anew. Whoa, what about this connotation? Now we know that this has to be in there. Why? We'll go right back to Ezekiel 37. The, the ancients, especially the ancient Jews, knew that a part of God's vision was to take dead men and make them whole. <laughs> There's an entire CGI painted fantasy <laughs> from Ezekiel, the trippiest of all the prophets. 
And in one of his trips, one of his amazing visions from God, I, I use that word uh, facetiously, huh? he was under the influence of the Holy Spirit. He see, remember the dead men? This, you know, the right bone, the thigh bone connected to the knee bone, knee bone connected to the... Hear the word of the Lord. And Isaiah has a vision of a valley full of bones. And when he speaks God's words, that's all he has to do. He's going to start speaking God's words to the bones. God tells him, son of man, prophesy to the bones. He starts, and what happens? The whole valley gets up. A vast army. He keeps preaching. He said, preach again, preach again. And then he, spirit says, the spirit, wind, entered that army. And they were alive. This is why I think Jesus looks at Nicodemus and says, how dare you marvel that I said you must be born again? You're not reading your Bible. We can rocket forward. We can rocket forward. Jesus, we can rocket forward. You know, Christ's most beautiful, beautiful words are not said in the Gospels. They're not, most, Christ's most beautiful words are not said in the Gospels. I think his most beautiful words are these. I, that's mine. It's right on the horse. And he's returning. And you know what he says? Look, I make all things new. Brand new. Renew. Beautifully new. That second sense, the God who calls things that are not as though they were, the God who takes death and makes life out of it. That's the second vision of rebirth. And he should have gotten the message. Why is that a treasure for us? If you're in the change-o-matic vision, and you're just looking for incremental change, and you're just hoping for it, you're never, you're not in the position of calling people to the, to the joy of if anyone is in Christ, behold what he is a new one. Creation. The old is gone. The new has come. You know, it, something about the idea of being a new, new reborn. Uh, you have a new origin story. I have an origin story. You maybe have heard it. You know, drugs, hippies, all that crap. Hey, it's good as far as it goes. It helps me. You know what it helps me with? Other people who grew up in that crap. Uh, as far as it goes. But you know, that's only my secondary origin story. You know what my primary origin story is? I come from a new place. I come from the love of God. <laughs> Do you know that, Simon? You, you come from a new world. The eternal world of the love of God. Two times. Verse 16 and right before it. Christ pops it open. What he means. He, he's about eternal life. Eternal life. Now, think about it this way. If I said I gave you eternal life, or if Jesus says he gives you eternal life, it can feel a little bit like a cheat because uh, it sounds like something you have to go get later, doesn't it? <laughs> doesn't it sound like, like something you have to pick up later? <laughs> hey, I gave you eternal life. You can pick it up uh, in about 50, 20 years, uh, <laughs> and you can pick up your eternal life. And I'm like, oh, great! Unless we begin to imagine that Christ has brought eternal life now, that's no his life. The eternal life is a new kind of life, bursting with new spiritual power. Do you know that life? You must be born. Don't be surprised. I keep telling you, you must be born again. I'm telling you, 
Don't be surprised. Don't be alarmed. Don't be confused. Don't run. Don't, don't hide. You must be born again because you need a breath birth from above and you need a new start that's eternal. That's a new kind of life. You need something new because what you got ain't working. And I, all right, what I've got's not working. Is that okay? I can say that. Because I don't want to be in the church of Ken. I want to be in the church of eternal possibility and life. What's the final thing about this rebirth, this regeneration? It's talked about in Titus 3, 5. He is reborn. We're reborn. It talks about in um, the rebirth uh, is described over and over again in the New Testament. Uh, Paul makes it his, his, whole, his whole focus. Uh, the passage I quoted to you was 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. Behold, he's a new creation. What about this final expression? So above, again, above, again, and then he says, born of the Spirit, or born of water and the Spirit. And we'll close with this. I want to hear your questions about it. Questions that might be on your heart. So this is really powerful. John gets weird here. Does anybody know where the Spirit is described as being next to water? I'll be really impressed if I guess this. Who said that? Good job. That's awesome, Greg. Seriously. Do you know why it's so important? Because John 1 quotes Genesis 1. John 1 quote, John 1, 1 is a lift of Genesis 1. So by the time he gets to John 3, trust me, it's still in his mind. Right? And so when he starts using things like we're reborn by water and the spirit, what's the first image of water and the spirit in the Bible? The Spirit hovering over the waters. Remember that? That's called allusion. A-L-L-U-S-I. That's allusive, right? The language. Where's the next time water and the Spirit come up? You, best, you guessed it. You probably didn't. Ezekiel 36. <laughs> right before the dry bones. I'm going to, God says, I'm going to, I'm going to do water and the Word. I'll be reborn. The promise is in Ezekiel. So, Nicodemus should have known better. He, should have, he, he darn well should have known better if he had believed his scriptures. But water in the word then, where's water in the word? How? Oh, it's around Philadelphia. Water. Water and the word. Water and the word. It's so hard for me to say it correctly. Uh, what would be fresh in their memory? This gets really good, by the way. This book would be fresh in their memory. What had they witnessed if they had been around John the Baptist just a little bit before this? What was a part of the story? Did I just lose something? I lost a button. Here you go, honey. You do all that for me. Thank you. Um, um, Christ coming out of the water. Christ's baptism. Because at his baptism, what did he receive? Holy Spirit. So what's he, what, 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 is, what is Jesus really trying to get Nicodemus to do? What is John here, as he quotes Christ's words, trying to do for the church 40 or 50 years later, and the church 2,000 years later? What's he trying to get you into? He's saying, look, Christ brings the new birth. And the Holy Spirit takes all of the power of God to forgive sin and delivers new life, new life to those who believe. Put your trust in Christ. 
He has come from above, from outside. He has come to do what you can to stop trusting your own manipulations, machinations, and your limited vision of a change-o-matic church about what is possible. Because he's from above. He's from outside the equation. He, he, no, all bets are off. Maybe you have a past that is tormenting. No, you've been born again. You have a new origin story. And your origin stories now have a story out of, out of before time. Rochelle was loved before time. He loved before. Oh, that's being and a new start and a new vision and a fresh, a fresh. You know, I'm getting old enough. The idea of having a fresh start actually sounds unbelievable, doesn't it? You can hear, I can hear why Nicodemus is like. Bro, that can't happen. But the water and the word, then just baptism. And this is why your baptism is so essential, Sid, because right there when Sid is baptized or you're baptized, if, if when Coral's baptized, we're going we're, we're, we're to come together as a church to say with outward signs, how much we believe that God delivers an inward reality <laughs> and that God does what we can't do again from above born of the spirit all things are possible welcome to the church of all things being possible amen it must be possible because we doubled in size in just an hour more than doubled in size in just an hour Father, we have, we have very sharp limits of what we really expect you to do. We do. We, 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 uh, we can confess that right here, right now. And um, we uh, pretty much plan our lives around what can happen, what we think is feasible, possible, what's manageable, what's uh, measurable. And you come in and you are not measurable. You are not controllable. You are the Lord. And I pray that we would all know what it is to be born from above, have that kind of joy, to have a new origin born again, to be born of the spirit and water, to have that sign and seal and have it real as real could be, to really be a part of everything you've done, Jesus, and have you and me and have you and us and have us in you. <laughs> We are bound together by blood. We're bound together by water. We're bound together by the Spirit, Lord, in your Son. I pray for Holy Spirit fullness and blessing over our questions, over our worship, over our... For I pray it in Christ. Amen.